covering the Detroit Pistons. Pistons.com, a good friend, Keith Langloy. Keith, my friend, how are you, partner? How's life? How are things? Are they slowing down at all? Or is all this free agent buzz kind of got you back working hard again? Yeah, you know, the way the NBA calendar goes, uh, the only time uh, it's pretty much a, a year-round thing now, like all, like every sport. The only time it really slows down is our uh, August, and then uh, uh, and then we're, as soon as Labor Day hits, start filtering back the town usually, and then things pick up again. So August is the slow time right now. You know, we're just just washed our hands of the draft and free agency starts, and and uh, by this time next week, I'll be packing for Las Vegas and summer league. So. No, never, not even a moment to kind of close your eyes uh, in between. Let's start with the draft and circle back to uh, last week and the Pistons selections and, and the trade that they made in order to move up to get uh, Marcus Sasser. Uh, but let's, let's first start at the number five pick, right? With the Thompson twins, both of them, you know, I'll, like most fans really don't have the opportunity to see very much of it. They, they could only hear, maybe they see some highlights, uh, but it's not like overtime elite games are on television. So what did the Pistons, who did they get, in your opinion, at number five? Well, I, I'm a lot less familiar with them than they are. At the uh, press conference last Friday, I was circling the room there and talking to a bunch of the people, you know, like behind-the-scenes people, and they made trips down to Atlanta uh, this winter. For, uh, that's where Overtime Elite is headquartered, where they play their games, and the comfortable that they have a good evaluation of them. You know, last week before the draft, when when Troy Weaver met with the media, I asked, "Is is there a particular challenge in, in kind of projecting guys out of overtime a week because the program's only been in existence two years?" You know, I believe they've had one player, Dominic Barlow, who played with the Spurs very sparingly this year as a rookie. So there's just not a history of projecting players out of that league, what, what, what production like looks like in that league, what they go on to do in the NBA. But yeah, Troy Weaver answered, he said, well, you you could say that, but Halle Berry is pretty virtual in the grocery store. He said, when you see when you see elite, you know it. So he, they're really comfortable that they got a, a guy who the door is a, even by the you know the ridiculous standards of the NBA, they've got an elite athlete walking in the door. Um you know, I think they're 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 perfectly comfortable that he's ready to defend from day one, and and the offense, you know, he he shot reasonably well uh, from three over the course of the season, but but it got better as the season went on, and it was almost forty percent in the in the playoffs, the, the overtime elite playoffs on on almost eight attempts a game. So I think they're confident that they they got a a good player and. You know the reports on the on the on the kid himself, the family are are, are glowing. That they are they're truly just all about basketball. I mean, look, the decision alone, if you know his life story, uh, they grew up in Oakland, and at some point uh, when they were in like middle school, they decided that uh, they you know they were fully focused on basketball as as their livelihood. And the, the father and the twins moved to South Florida to uh, to. To, to pursue that aim, and, and the, the mom stayed back in California. Um, then it, to give up their senior year of high school and all that entails to, to go to, to go to this you know new venture, unproven venture, but one that they felt was dedicated to, to maximizing their basketball potential. And I think it tells you that they're very serious about their craft, and 
And, uh, you know, the Pistons are, are, are confident in, in the, the quality of the character and in the, the potential of, of the athlete and the basketball player. You know, with the, the selection of Asar Thompson, that was maybe, you know, you you get online and you, you, you hear these fans going back and forth at each other, Keith. That, I mean, Twitter's a battleground, right? And, you know, so many people talking about shooting, shooting, shooting. We have to be able to add shooting. And you, you look at Bojan Bogdanovic as, like, the guy. Still, you know, Isaiah Livers, we just need him to stay healthy. Uh, at some point, be able to, you know, get into some sort of consistency right. there within the rotation. But, yes, this team needs shooting. But if you look back to, and everybody points to the Golden State Warriors, well, sure. Steph Curry was an elite, is an elite shooter, arguably the greatest of all time, and his running mate Clay Thompson, uh, right in the in the same conversation. Like as far as teammates, probably the best shooting backcourt the league has ever seen. But prior to Clay Thompson's injuries, they were an elite defensive team. Clay Thompson, an elite defender. Draymond Green can defend anyone. Andre Iguodala, uh, you know, in everything that he meant, uh, you know, even winning a Finals MVP. But what he meant defensively. And this Pistons team just struggled to defend last year. So to me, it made perfect sense. Like, hey, here's a guy that offensively, that will come around. His shot, you know, he proved that he could shoot it a little bit at OTE. We'll see what happens on the offensive side of things. But we have to be able to defend, especially at the wing spot, because, I mean, that's where all the, the dogs in the NBA, everybody's everybody's this large and in charge wing. They can put it on the floor. They can shoot it. They can drive to the bucket. We have to be able to stop that. So for me, it made perfect sense going to get a guy that they thought could step in day one and help them defensively. Well, yeah, and and Tory Weaver made made those points uh, uh, last week, and 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 again on Friday after the draft, he he said, you know, he, he was talking about Golden State. Everybody talks about about Stephen Clay, and yeah, he said that's the <laughs> yeah they can shoot it, but he said when Golden State really took off is when they became a top ten and then a top five defensive team, and before the draft. Well, actually, it was, it was on draft night uh, after just after the Thompson selection when 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 Troy said he volunteered, and and, and this was a comparison that had been raised um, by some of those people in the draft industry too. But he he said, you know, Golden State. He said what made what made them their death lineup. He said was when Iguodala was in the front court, and it was just really impossible to match up with him. And I think the Piston, he he Troy said this is the guy that that Asar, Asar Thompson reminds him of. Um, Andre Iguodala, who had you know a, a two decade career in the NBA, and 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 was a guy who you know winning teams always when he had agency or or when Golden State needed to to move him there were uh, for cap purposes the, the the teams that lined up to get him were were teams that were poised to win a championship because they knew you know exactly the qualities he had or what winning teams you know, you know just absolutely need. Um, as you said, wing athletic wings and who are in short supply guys who can switch up and down uh, defensively, and, and when you, when you can combine that with some of the offensive upside of Thompson, with his, you know, I, I talked to one of the, the Pistons scouts who said he he was a frequent visitor to the overtime elite gym this winter, and he said at yeah, one of the games he went at watched this year they had. Uh, you know, Amen Thompson, his twin brother, was the guy who who, who supposedly was a, more of the point guard, and Asar played off the ball. He said the one game he went to, Asar they put the ball in Asar's hands, and he said he wound up with like twelve assists that game, and just you know looked like he was really designed for that role. So I think they're confident uh, that that they got you know a someone who fits their roster, but b also someone who just in general is is what every team is looking for right now. Then the Pistons make a move and they go after Marcus Sasser, right? And Troy Weaver's working the phones and he's trying to try from the stories that I read that he, this was a guy that they targeted that they really wanted. And I really, 
I find it interesting that they go after a guy here. They they actually invest in you know one. He's a first round pick, so there's a there's some guarantees with that contract. It's a guard, right? Most notably, a point guard that they're going after because the backcourt seems now with a healthy Cade Cunningham, it's going to be pretty tough to crack that lineup and get some playing time. But they get a four year player out of Houston and Marcus Sasser, which I really like. I don't think that everybody needs to be a 17, 18, 19 year old uh, G League or one and done in college or over. Not everybody has to be that. I think that there's a maturation process in college, and maybe it's because, Keith, I'm old school, right? I'm an old guy. I'm an old school kind of guy. I like that. I like a four-year guy out of college. What does the, the, the team moving to go get Marcus Sasser say about what how they feel about him as an individual and when you know they really kind of see, like, this guy might be able to come in and contribute right away? Yeah, well, I, I, I wrote something that, that posted today and that, that speaks exactly to that. That look, I mean, uh, the, the, I did a story last week before the draft on possibilities with thirty first pick, and Sasser was one of the the I think four or five guys I, I named who were who were like older college players who were a possibility with that pick. Um, I'm not, you know, I, and I, I think it, it, a lot of a lot of mock drafts had Sasser going in that early second round range. I don't think a lot had him in the first round, but how high, highly did the Pistons value him? Well, I think the fact that that they they were so look a lot of times after the draft you, you'll say we got the guys we wanted to, but we know that the Pistons got the guy they wanted because they moved up. To get him, they gave up two future second round picks. Um, Troy Weaver said that Arn Tellum and his son Eric, Eric, from, in, in, uh, director of, of pro scouting for the Pistons, they were on the phone with uh, with uh, with Sasser's agency, the Excel, and that night because they were monitoring. The agent will be the first one to know if teams are interested in their guy, and they wanted to know if any of these teams late in the first round were likely to get Sasser. And when they got a whiff of Two teams that had some interest in drafting Sasser, they jumped. Uh, they, Boston had just acquired the 25th pick in the uh, trade with Memphis and, and the one in which they got Kristaps uh, Porzingis from Washington. And, you know, it was, it was rightly assumed that Boston was interested in getting out of the first round because of salary concerns and all that, uh, the guaranteed contract that comes with, excuse me, the 25th pick. So, uh, you know, they, they probably targeted Boston for a trade-up candidate. And when they got a whiff of Sasser maybe not being there at 31, they they acted pretty swiftly, and, and they absolutely got their guy. Um, the way Troy Weaver talked about him, you know, he just said he's a steadying presence. He's a rock guy that you don't have to worry about where he is or what he's doing. He's all about basketball. He's very serious. And he's, you know, Troy talks ceaselessly about how he wants to build a team in the image of the the bad boys and the going to work Pistons, not necessarily because he wants to pay homage to those eras, but because he believes that that's the way you win in the NBA. And uh, Sasser is a guy who, who you know really gets after it defensively, and also a guy that I believe is going to be a forty percent three point shooter in the league once he gets his feet set. So, um, you know, it's clear. Like, like I said, a lot of times teams pay lip service that we got our guy. Well, there's no doubt the Pistons got their guy because they acted to get him. And we talk about the shooting of Marcus Sasser in his junior season when he was playing about 32 minutes a game. He shot at about 44% uh, from three. And then those numbers kind of skyrocketed, at least as far as his attempts, and it dropped down to 38.4%. But still, uh, I mean, high 30s, low 40s. I mean, that's, uh, that's, you know, really, really nice to see. So how do you think that affects 
uh, what the Pistons want to do at that point guard position with Cade Cunningham coming back from injury. He and Jaden Ivey. I think that Jaden Ivey is going to really explode this year. I think that running alongside Cade Cunningham is going to be a game changer uh, for him just because the way Cade sees the floor, the way that he moves the basketball, his decision making. I think that you know he's one of those guys that just he just goes out there and makes everybody else around him better. So Marcus S. then eats up minutes. That maybe brings me to this question of what are they, what are they going to do with a guy like Killian Hayes? Yeah, you know, I was just uh, looking at the roster. <laughs> the Pistons have will have on their roster next year, you know, and assuming I, they're, they're, look, we, we're going into free agency. There's probably going to be some some opportunities for trades. I would the Pistons have, are going to have 30 million cap space, and with today's news that uh, that Utah has acquired John Collins into cap space from Atlanta, that means there's only going to be four teams with more cap space in the Pistons. So, uh, you know, people ask me what's going to happen in free agency. We, you know, we might get to that, but I, I I would still put more money on the fact that the, they'll probably leverage their 30 million in cap space in the trade market as opposed to using it in free agency. But we'll see. But you know, as the roster stands now, they're going to have eight players that were taken in the first round of the last four drafts since Trey Weaver got here. And, you know, like not all of them were Pistons picks. James Wiseman was a, was a trade acquisition, but but eight first round picks in the last four drafts and six of those are taken in the lottery. So, you know, there's going to be real competition for, for minutes. So when you say what's going to happen with Killian Hayes, well, when training camp starts, you know, he's he's on the last year of his rookie contract. It's a real prove it year for him. He's got a new head coach who comes in. I'm, I'm guessing he's gonna come in with a with a blank slate and, and it's gonna be, you know, best man best man wins. But Cunningham and Ivy are gonna uh, in all likelihood be the starting backcourt and get thirty plus minutes a game. And who fills those backup roles? I mean Alec Burks is a proven guy. You have to believe he's He's gonna if he's healthy. He's gonna he's gonna occupy a slot, and then it's you know it's a fight for for whatever minutes are left from there. And Killian Hayes is, is one of the people, and Marcus Hester, uh, you know, he, he comes in with uh, with all with a lot of wind in his sails from everything we know about how the Pistons view him. So it's gonna be real competition. Those things always work themselves out. I know you always look at the depth chart and wonder how we're gonna find minutes for everybody. They always work themselves out because of injury or or otherwise so you know it'll it'll play out starting in training camp and then and from there it'll be whoever earns the minutes will we'll get them all right keith i gotta ask you this next one if if both are available jeremy grants or cam johnson uh i well i i would i would bet heavily on cam johnson wearing a brooklyn nets uniform next year and on jeremy grant wearing a portland trailblazers uniform next year you know the the one wild card in there is it's been reported that uh Damian lillard is meeting with the with portland's front office today at, maybe as we speak and discussing the future of the franchise if if, if dame comes out of that meeting and says you know, uh, I love my time in Portland, but it's time to move on. Then, then Jeremy Grant being on the move probably is, makes a little more sense, and then we'll see. Uh, Cam Johnson, I, I, I just have a hard time believing that Brooklyn, owned by one of the richest men in the world, and they just traded Kevin Durant, and the return for Kevin Durant was <laughs> Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, and then they're going to let one of those guys walk out the door because they won't match an offer for a restricted free agent. With the history of restricted free agency in the NBA is they very rarely move if 
if they have, have any value to their to their current team, and Cam Johnson certainly has value to the Nets. So I don't think the I, I just can't imagine the the offer sheet the Pistons can sign him to that would scare away Brooklyn. So I, as I said, I, my my money on on how the Pistons use wind up using their thirty million in cap space is via the trade market um, as opposed to out and out free agency. But we'll see. You never know. It starts Friday night, so we might. You know, a week from now, if we're having this conversation, we might have the answers already. He is Keith Langlois. Find him on Twitter at Keith underscore Langlois. If you don't follow him already, find his work at Pistons.com. Keith, my friend, as always, partner, so great to catch up with you and hear your voice, my friend. We greatly appreciate the time today. Thanks, Anthony. Anytime.